0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Uh, we're going to look at some other verses this morning, but this is kind of going to be the anchor passage that we come out of. And um, the title of my message this morning is Husbands, Wives, Submission, and Chick fil A. I made the mistake of telling my family that that was a the title. They tried to change my mind, but I was like, no, I'm telling you, this is from God. It's, this is what we need to do here. But I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 before we get into the message 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 Likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the con- conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold ju- jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the old women... I'm sorry, that does not say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> well, it is true. This is, this is how the old women... All right, I'm not even preaching this morning. All right. I don't even know who said that, Leslie. Well, this is how the holy women, the old holy women. That's what that Greek means there. Holy means old holy. Oh, my word, I'm who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves with the submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, old husbands, (laughs) live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you. Of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning as we are opening your word, we recognize that this is your word. This is what you gave your people whom you love. It is meant to bring instruction and correction, it's, it's meant to point us to Jesus, it's, po- it's meant to help us to know how to live lives that are full of life and joy and that reflect you. Father, that's what this passage that I just read is meant to do. But there is a lot of uh, baggage that can come with this topic. So Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would do a miraculous work and you would open our ears and our hearts in such a way that you would show life to us through your word, how as we all learn to submit to you that it brings life in Christ Jesus. I pray this for myself and for the congregation and those who hear. In your name, amen. Well, this morning, we are going to be uh, continuing the series that's entitled, That's a Good Question. And last week, I began by asking the question, what is biblical submission? We, we learned that the word submission in the Greek is hupotasso. That means to arrange oneself under. To come under, to submit means to come under the leadership of another. And we looked at how we are, last week we looked at how we're to submit to the governing authorities. And also, if you have an employer, how uh, they call them servants and masters, but in our culture it would be bosses and employees, how an employee is to relate to their boss. And today, as you can tell from our passage, I want to be looking at the relationship between a husband and a wife, how it relates. Uh, biblical submission relates in that relationship. But before I do that, I want to bring attention to one of our six core descriptors. Back here on the wall, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we have six um, values that our church is seeking to grow in as a church. As you can see from the left, it says gospel-centered. We want to be a church that is diverse, culturally engaged, Uh, generationally-minded, community-contributing, and biblically-rooted. I want to look at the definition that we have for biblically-rooted, what it means. It means that we are joyfully—would you read this with me on the screen here? That we are joyfully submitted to the—hold on, let me start over. I'm joyfully submitted to and transformed by the inspired Word of God. I want to point out two words in here that that we need to grasp this morning. It says joyfully— Submitted, the words joyfully submitted. When we put these, came up with these core descriptors. We took hours and hours to make sure that we used the right words that we wanted to use to communicate these six core descriptors. Joyfully submitted is important because as a believer, we need to understand that true disciples of Jesus come to Him willingly and joyfully. And we submit or come under his leadership, his lordship. Get this and listen to this. God does not force anyone to follow him against their will. And if you feel like uh, when you're in the word of God, you feel like it's oppressive or it's, you don't want to do it, there's two things going on here. Either you're not understanding the scripture correctly or there's a war in your heart that needs to be overcome, because whatever God is teaching is is meant for us to joyfully submit to, whether you're a man or a woman. And so this is to be a loving relationship where we joyfully submit to Jesus, and that leads to life. It's kind of like a Chick-fil-A restaurant, right? I know y'all were making that connection as I was saying that. I was telling Adoniram this week that if fast food went to church, it would go to Chick-fil-A, wouldn't it? Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Back in 1967, a guy named Truett Cathy started his first Chick-fil-A store. And I love that store because it's, it's a, uh, that restaurant, because it has such excellence, doesn't it? Their restaurants, when you walk in, they have this certain feel about them. And you know that the, the, the facility is going to be clean, The staff is going to be polite, the service is going to be prompt and professional, and the food is going to be good. And listen, here's how a -A, Chick-fil-A store is like submission. No one forces an owner to own a Chick-fil-A restaurant. They cannot be forced because it is an honor to be an owner of a Chick-fil-A store. There is a stringent, because there is a stringent process that they, you have to go through. They vet who they allow to be a store owner. And you have to be willing to submit or come under to everything that they require if you are going to even be considered to be a store owner. That is the truth. And so I would not be a good Chick-fil-A store owner because there's three things that I would change in a Chick-fil-A store, okay? So if you're taking notes, you probably want to write this down. Number one. I don't believe that in one area that they are culturally relevant. And as a church, we want to be culturally relevant. Because when you say thank you to them, what do they say? My pleasure. Okay, that's not culturally relevant. It's kind, but it's not culturally relevant. I think they just need to add two words to it. At the end, my dog. My pleasure, my dog. That would make it culturally relevant. Number two. You can write that down if you've got more questions at the end of the service. Number two, I would say that they are lacking in diversity. They only serve chicken, right? <laughs> they need to serve steak with that. Chick-fil-A and beef filet a would be a great way to change the just a little bit, you know? Uh, expand the menu. Always be progressive. And number three, this might be the most important one. They're not gospel-centered because they're not open on Sundays, right? <laughs> How many times have I been traveling on the highway on Sunday and, and say, kids, where do you want to go? Chick-fil-A? Yeah. No, we can't because they're close. Those are the three areas. But see, the owners do not have the freedom to change things just because they don't like the way the stores are run. They have, and I guarantee you that Chick-fil-A has written down their policies, right? Zach and Mary Beth? Yes, these, uh, these guys work at Chick-fil-A. They, am, I, am I preaching the gospel right now? Okay, close enough. But they don't have the freedom to change things that they don't like. And they've written down their policies and they must submit to everything because Chick-fil-A has an order, a certain way that they do things because they want to bring about the same quality and excellence. So when it comes to the family... When it comes to uh, the family that God created and designed, let me ask you this. Do you think that God wrote down how he wants uh, the family to be in order? Or did he just leave it for us to just do it however we want to? Well, if you're a, a believer in Christ, you know that he gave us his word. He wrote a book. This is something that Terry always says. God wrote a book, right? And he wrote things down so that we could understand how we should live our lives. He wanted to give us clear instructions so we didn't have to guess. And so the question I want us to ask this morning is, does the word of God teach order in the home? And there's three views here that I want to reveal here. Number one, there are biblical critics, complementarians, and there are also egalitarians. I want to go over each one of these. Biblical critics would be those who do not believe in the Word of God. They would not want to follow the Word of God because they would say, yes, the Bible teaches an oppressive and a sexist order where women are commanded to submit to their husbands even though women are equal to men. They see what is taught in Scripture, biblical submission, as being an inequality and oppressive. Now, complementarians would say yes also. They would say, yes, the Bible teaches that men and women are to complement or complete one another. Together, men and women are expressions, unique expressions of the image of God. Male and female are counterparts in reflecting his glory. So in marriage, they would say that husbands and wives are equal. They would agree with the biblical critics. They would say, yes, men and women are equal, but we have different Roles And under the headship of Christ, and I want to emphasize this, under the headship of Christ, husbands are called to lovingly lead their homes and wives are called to willingly come under their husband's leadership as he is coming under the the headship of Christ. Together, they fulfill a greater expression of marriage that is meant to reveal, this is what marriage is meant to reveal, ultimately, the love relationship between Jesus and his church. Now, I want to be clear about something. It's not about fulfilling cultural stereotypes where the husband has to mow the grass and the the wife has to stay in the kitchen, right? I love what Mary Cassian says about this. She says, if you hear someone tell you that complementarity means you have to get married, have dozens of baby babies, be a stay-at-home housewife, clean toilets, completely forego a career, chuck your brain, tolerate abuse, watch Leave It to Beaver reruns, bury your gifts, deny your personality, and bobblehead nod yes to everything men say, don't believe her. That's a straw woman misinterpretation. It's not complementarianism. I should know. I'm a complementarian, and I helped coin the term. Now, egalitarians, uh, which is derived from the French word égal, which means equal or level, They have a viewpoint that was popularized back in the 1970s and the 1980s by biblical feminists who would also argue, they would also, here's where we all agree, they would argue that women and men are created equal, but they would teach that there are no gender-based limitations of what functions or roles each gender can can fulfill in the home and church. They would say that God is not specific as to who is to lead the church and the the home. And they would encourage that leadership should be determined, whoever's going to lead the the home or the church should be determined by the gifting that an an individual has been gifted by God and not their gender. Now, I don't think it's going to come to uh, surprise to anyone in this church that Terry and I uh, both hold the complementarian view where husbands and wives are both called to submit ourselves to Christ, and that our submission to Christ uh, looks a little bit different uh, based on our gender. And I, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna look at Scripture, because again, I don't have the right to take the Word of God and make it say what I want it to say, do I? Uh, amen, thank you. I don't have the right to do that. And so, by God's grace, I wanna kind of walk through some passages and and just show you where we're coming from. And we're going to start with the husbands. We're going to look at three passages. uh, These passages all address women and men, but I'm going to start with the husbands. It says in verse 7, 1 Peter 3, verse 1-7, we read that this morning. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, in an understanding way. We need husbands, we need to study our wives. We need to understand how they were made. We need to understand what their gifts are. We need to understand what their temperament is. We need to understand what encourages them, what discourages them, what makes them afraid. We need to understand our wives. Women, do you want that? Yes, you do. Showing what? Honor. Now, listen, back in first century times, women were considered by the culture as property. They were not considered to be someone that you would uh, give honor to and thought. But look at what the Word of God is teaching right here. Honor your wife. This is, was revolutionary back in, the, in those days. And it's that way today also, unfortunately. But showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Here we go. <laughs> that does not mean mentally. It cannot mean mentally. I know too many women. And too many husbands. That does not mean mentally. I didn't say anything other than what I just said. And it does not mean spiritually. Again, I know too many wives and too many husbands. It does not mean that they are weaker that way. I believe it's clear, clearly teaching that across the board, women are weaker than men physically. Um, I don't think anyone would really argue that. That's why we have kind of like a Women's sports and men's sports. I mean, that's just something that I think we all would agree with. I hope we can. As the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. Here it is. That's the equality. Peter is saying women are equal. Your wife is equal to you. You need to honor her, and you need to live with her in a way that you understand her. Uh, Just to make sure that we understand that Scripture teaches this in other places, I want to look at Colossians 3.19. It says, Husbands... Love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. In other words, be kind to your wife. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30 says, husbands, again, love your wives, and then it kind of ups the ante, as Christ loved the church. There should be conviction going through all of our hearts, gentlemen, right now, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, husbands were called to die for our wives. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way that Christ loved the church. In the same way, husbands, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. In a nutshell, husbands are called to submit to Christ by obediently leading their wives and loving and honoring them as equal heirs of salvation. And so listen, husbands, um, this is what godly headship says. This is what we're saying to our wives. Say, we're saying we're going to come together and become one. And as, as husband and wife, and by the grace of God, I am going to grow to be a godly leader. Uh, wives, I want to just, I'm not giving us gentlemen a pass right now but I want to just make a point here that this is a growth process, okay? When you get married, gentlemen, um, you're going to realize you need to grow. Hopefully, you will realize you need to grow into what Christ has called us to be, but I'm, we're going to grow as a godly leader. And that means by God's grace, I'm going to lead in loving you. I'm going to lead in cherishing you. I'm going to lead in honoring you. I'm going to lead in seeking to understand you. I'm going to lead in putting you before myself. I'm going to lead in when we have a fight, even if it's your fault, I'm going to lead in pursuing you to make sure that we get to peace by the end of the day. I'm going to lead in helping you to grow in your gifts that God has given you in your relationship with God, and I'm going to lead our family through the word of God. And my advice to you ladies, if you find a man like this who is willing to lead you like that, don't let him go. Marry that guy, if he'll marry you, okay? (laughs) Of course, that goes without saying. All right, so that's the men. Not much, just love your wife, right? Mm. Wives. Now, I want to say, before I get into this, um, I love y'all. I'm not afraid to do this, really. But uh, really, uh, Titus 2 says, Older women teach the younger women to do what I'm about to share. I'm, I'm going to teach what the Word of God teaches, but ultimately, old women need to be the ones <laughs> doing this. That's what I meant when I was in the passage there, all right? So there's three pa- clear uh, passages. These correspond to the same <laughs> verses that I read for the husbands, and they actually come before. It says, Likewise, wives be subject or come under the leadership the authority to your own husbands. Colossians 3:18 says wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord and then Ephesians 5:22 verse through 24 says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Wow, this is very interesting even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, hold on. I thought that this was an equal thing. Does that not say in verse 22, verse 23, that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and it does it's it's teaching authority now does that mean we're not equal let me ask you this in your body which is is more important your head or your heart your head or your heart your heart okay your heart's very important but i would say that they're equal because if the heart goes out so does the head doesn't it? And if the head goes out, so does the heart. They are equal. They are extremely important to ensure that we live. And in the same way, marriage is the same way. If we are going to be a picture of Christ and his church, the head and the heart have to be operating together. Now, what does, now, ladies, I want to help you see something. And before I take another step forward, I want to explain why I'm teaching on this this morning. It's because in this congregation alone, in this, uh, our congregation, there are so many people that uh, I have talked to, that I have counseled, who are single, who are um, thinking about getting married, who are married, and the same question is being asked to me over and over. What, What does it look like? for a woman to submit, for a wife to submit to her husband. I'm teaching this, not because I want to you know, stir up anybody's feathers, but because it is a question that is being asked a lot in our congregation. So let's look at what it, what it uh, means. First Peter 3.1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Number one, you need to understand that a wife... Is called to be subject to her husband. This is not a teaching that women in general are to submit to men in general. That is not what the Scriptures teach. Now, I know that there's people that uh, have taken that and have twisted the Scriptures, but the, the Scripture does not say women in general submit to men in general. It says to your own husband. So if you're dating, the boyfriend... Is not, you're not called to submit to the boyfriend until he submits to Christ and marries you. Okay, so do not let your boyfriend try to uh, control... Well, he should never try to control you. No, which leads me to point number two. I want us to notice that it's voluntary. Look who he's talking to in, in 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, wives. He speaks directly to the wife. He doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. He doesn't say that. He's talking straight to the woman, not the husbands. And so we need to understand that biblical submission, true biblical submission is voluntary. You are not forced to submit. That is not biblical submission. When you came to Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, and I started the service with this, if you've come to Jesus, you came because you wanted to. You came because you loved him, and you bowed your knee to him because you wanted him to rule over you, because you know that he has your best interests. And in a similar way, wives, you're called to voluntarily and joyfully, because you love Jesus, come under your husband's leadership. And a husband that is obsessed with their wives submitting to them has a twisted view of biblical submission. And husbands, if your wife, listen, if, you're, if you find that your wife is not coming under your leadership, there's two things that could be going on here. Number one, she might just be flat out rebelling. There, there's a, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you want to, to come under Christ's leadership. But number two, which I've seen more in a Christian relationship, it could be that you have not yet won her by your submission to Christ. You have not laid your life down in a way that causes her to want to come under your leadership. I'm not giving her a pass for that. But gentlemen, we need to stop talking, if we are, about our wives submitting to us and begin to make sure that we are submitting ourselves to Christ. And then see what happens in your marriage. Start loving your wife. And start cherishing her. Start seeking to understand her needs and desires. Begin leading your family in the ways of God and taking leadership with your children and see what happens. Rarely, if ever, have I seen a woman who loves Jesus. I've I've never seen a woman who loves Jesus rebel against that kind of love from a husband. So biblical submission, ladies, is number one, to your own husband. It's voluntarily. And number three, it reveals true inner beauty and strength. Let me explain what I mean. Let's look at verse 3 in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of, of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear. He's not saying, you know, don't, Make yourself look good. He's saying, don't let that be your primary beauty. He says, verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Or this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting, them, their selves, uh, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. So, something that jumps out to me in this passage is where it says that Sarah called her husband Lord. Did anybody see that while well, I was going through? Ladies, is are, are you supposed to go around calling your husbands Lord? My wife's like, no. no. Let me try to explain this one. Um, <laughs> This is a, uh, like a cultural um, address. Have you ever, uh, sometimes in the, in the scriptures, they address each other in ways that in our culture would be very disrespectful. For example, in John chapter 2, when Jesus is about to turn the w- water to wine, what does he call his mom? Woman. Now, in our culture, that would be very disrespectful. Right, Luke? Luke? Um, Also, um, when I was growing up, I had to call someone by their, Mr. or Mrs., whatever their last name was, right? Uh, So sometimes it's it's still in me, even though there's, in our culture today, we call each other by our first names, but when I was growing up, you said Mr. so-and-so, and so so I believe that this is, um, uh, in the scripture, if you'll read the scripture, sometimes they say, they'll talk to them and say, my Lord, my Lord. It's, one of those, it's just a respectful, honoring uh, title. It's not sexist because in uh, verse 7, remember, he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. It's a mutual honor that we're to show with one another. I don't know what he called her to honor her, but we're to show honor to one another. and I believe that that's what it's talking about here. And, and ladies, I want you to understand that Sarah is a picture of someone who was filled and empowered with the Spirit of God. In other words, she trusts God. How do we know that? Because there is a gentleness about her. She isn't rude and brazen, and there is a quiet spirit. That does not mean, listen, that does not mean, women, you cannot talk. What it means, it's kind of like the picture of, have you ever been out at the lake on a summer's evening, and you're the only one out there, you hear the bullfrogs croaking, and the water's... Tranquil and quiet. That's what a woman who was trusting in God is like. She's not freaking out. That is actually a picture of who Jesus is. Jesus led from a gentle and quiet spirit. He was, think about it. When things came up, he's always chill. He's always under control. He's never afraid. Biblical submission in a wife expresses itself as gentle and and quiet strength, not weakness. So, ladies, you might be thinking, what about if my husband isn't being biblically submitted? Do I have to come under his leadership? And I would say it depends. There is a time for you to come out from under your husband's leadership. And before I get to that, I want to be clear about something. A wife's call to submit to her husband and a husband's call to love his wife are not conditional. In other words, a husband does not come to his wife and say, listen, if you will submit to me, if you will come under my leadership, I'll love you. Okay? That's not submitting to the Lord. That's submitting to your wife, right? Submitting to the Lord, submitting to the Lord says, Lord, I'm going to love my wife regardless of whether or not she's coming under my leadership. And wives in the same thing. You don't come to your husband and go, well, as long as you know you're leading as a godly man, I'll come under your leadership. That's not what the Word of God teaches. It's voluntary. Ladies, we need to, you need to understand, too, that your husband loving you and cherishing you and understanding you and is voluntary. He cannot be nagged or bugged or demanded for him to submit to Christ and to lead the family and to love you because, listen, that will not... That will not motivate him if he feels like you're forcing him to do that. Again, submission to Christ, however it comes, is voluntary. Now, what if your husband isn't under biblical submission? How do you win him? Okay, now I want to ask you ladies, that's a good question you need to ask yourself. Do I want to win him? Do I want to conquer him? Or do I just want to leave him? Those are the questions you need to be asking yourself. Hopefully, you want to win him. This is That's a gospel-centered view. Jesus did not want to conquer us or leave us. He wants to win us. Okay, so wives, the question you need to be asking yourself, how do I win my husband? If he's, you know, isn't in the word of God, isn't leading the family, is neglecting um, the family, or is, is uh, abusive. And we're going to get more into the abusive in just a minute, but... The first thing I would say is that you need to preach. You need to preach to him with your life. You need to preach with your life. Let's look at 1 Peter 3. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, this could be talking about an unbeliever, or it could be talking about a husband who's just being disobedient to the word. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The relationship between a wife and a husband, and this isn't this is any relationship. The way we live our lives gives us a platform with which to preach from with our mouths, right? So if, if you guys, if, if um, you want to have an influence on someone, you need to make sure that your life is, is in a way that brings uh, that the person that's coming to you is not going, well, they're, they're a horrible person. So then you need to make sure that you preach with your life. Now, I also want to point out that wives, you're not called to cover for your husbands. You're not called to pretend like everything's all good and uh, going good if there's sin in, in the marriage. I want to be careful how we move forward with this one, but I want to make sure that I'm being very clear here. Winning your husband without a word does not mean you don't ever talk to him about it, but you need to first make sure that your life is preaching it. Secondly, privately address him. We're going to look at Matthew 18, verse 15. This this would be in any type of relationship, Christian relationship. If you see someone sin, make sure your life, take the log out of your own eye, and then you go to them in private. You don't want to humiliate your man says in verse 15, if your brother sins, and if you are a believer and your husband is a believer, he is your brother in Christ. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So hopefully there's, there's good communication between husbands and wives where, there's an, where he's like, I want you to tell me if I'm not following Christ, uh, I, I give you the freedom to do that. And if, if he listens, then you have won your husband. But what if he doesn't listen to you? Well, that would be step number three: is to get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. Verse uh, Matthew eighteen, verse sixteen says, "But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses." Now, you need to be be very careful in how you do this. You need to, if you're going to bring somebody else into it, it needs to be someone that is trusted, that can keep, um, that is uh, unbiased. It needs to and because, listen, you might be wrong. You might be wrong in what you're assessing, and that's what what the Word of God wants to help us. If he, if it's just you two and you can't agree, He says, bring somebody else in who's a believer, and that's what, that's the importance of the church. That's where the importance of having a healthy church that can help you walk through these things. So you want to keep it small, though. You're not blasting it out. To the whole world ladies you're not going to tell your girlfriend over here and your girlfriend over here and sharing it and lord uh people can you pray for me in this no you're t- keeping it small because you want to win your husband and if it goes beyond this group and, and they say yes you are sinning in this you need to repent and he will not repent and he is a believer uh it says to involve the church matthew 18 verse 17 says if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, treat him as though he's an unbeliever and begin to preach the gospel to him with your life and the way that you live before him. And so when I'm counseling a wife who is seeking to win a disobedient husband, here's what I will counsel a woman. I will say, submit to him wherever you can. Don't let that be an offense to him why he's not responding. It's not an excuse before God, but take away any offense that he would have. But do not support him or come under his mission when he is requiring you to help him to do something that is contrary to the word of God, something that will harm him, something that will harm you, and something that will harm others. And last week I gave an example of individuals who rebelled against authority and God rewarded them. And I want to give an example of a wife in the Bible who rebelled against her husband and God said, good job. Y'all want to see that? Okay, good. First Samuel 25, the lady's name was Abigail. I actually named my daughter Abby after her because I love this, this woman. She was married to a man who was very rich. He was very harsh. And he was, the scripture says, says, he was badly behaved. And just to give you a little bit of background about what was happening here, David had been kind to her husband, kind to the husband. His name was Nabal, which means fool. Uh, that's what it means. It, he was, um, he had taken care of Nabal's servants when they were out in the field, their shepherds. He protected them and made sure nothing got stolen from them. He and his men, David's men. And while... Um, They were out in the fields. They came back to Nabal and sent messengers. And David said, hey, Nabal, we've taken care of your your people and made sure nothing bad happened to them. Can you give us some food uh, and some drink? And uh, Nabal says, um, uh, he insults David and says, no, not going to do it. And so David gets furious, and he straps on his sword, and he says, Come with me, and he gathers 400 of his warriors and said, we're going to annihilate Nabal and his whole house and his, everything that's there. Don't do things when you're angry, okay? Even if you're a righteous do not do something when you're angry. Now, Abigail gets word of this coming destruction, and so she secretly goes behind Nabal's back, and she gets some food, and some wine and makes a beeline straight to David. And this is where we're going to look at in verse uh, 23 of 1 Samuel 25. It says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. (laughs) For as is his name, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly. I've always wanted to put is his game here, but that's the... (laughs) Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord... As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. I like verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. This is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? She is going before the unrighteous and taking on his sin and saying, please forgive the trespass of your servant. I love that. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Long story short, because of Abigail's wise actions, David sees his error and allows Nabal to live. Um, And the next day, well, if you want to know what happens, I encourage you to go home and read what happens to Nabal. Uh, And the important thing to see here is that Abigail, what motivated her? It was not rebellion against her husband, but love for her husband and for the righteous. She had a love for the unrighteous and the righteous. The unrighteous obviously being her husband because you know she could have knowing that he was coming, if she wanted to be set free from this marriage, she could have easily hidden somewhere and let the destruction come. But instead she went out. So she loved the unrighteous and she loved the righteous. She went against her husband's wishes because she didn't want to see David ruin his testimony by avenging himself with his own hand. She cared about the righteous and the unrighteous and protected both by coming out from under the headship of her husband. So the the bottom line, wives, is I would encourage you this. Do you want to win your husband? The Word of God gives a clear picture of how to do that. Now, there are circumstances where a husband is abusive in uh, physical ways and, uh, and sometimes mental ways. And in those cases, especially the physical abuse, if you're being physically abused, you are not called to stay under it and take, um, take what your husband is giving to you. You are encouraged to flee from physical abuse. Um, if that is you, I want to encourage you, come talk to me at the end of the service. Um, we will get you help. But also, I want to make a point that if it's if it's mental abuse, now, there's another type of abuse that that goes on in marriages where the husband is dominating in an abusive way. This is where I would say we need to move slowly on that. We need to evaluate it, see if that's really what's going on, but that also is a, is a place where you may need to come out from underneath. Uh, staying with your husband for that for a season. And, and here's why I say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Paul is addressing those who are married. And he says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. And so some people will take that verse and go, you see, the wife is never t- to separate from her husband. But then it goes on, but if she does. You see that? But if she does, in other words, if there's a situation where she needs to separate from her husband, she should, here's the condition, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. This keeps a woman from going, well, I'm just going to go to another marriage. Your, Your purpose is to come out, help your husband so that you can be reconciled to him. It's always, it's always about reconciliation. And there's some situations that cannot be reconciled. And we don't ever want to put some type of heavy burden on people who have not been able to reconcile a marriage. But I do want to teach what the Word of God teaches us in these areas so that we can live in a way that brings glory to God. And if you're struggling with submitting to God, I want to, get, I want to um, encourage you with this, that you are in good company because we know that Jesus, did you know that Jesus struggled or wrestled with submitting to God. When he was in the garden, I've talked about this a hundred times, but when he was in the garden, he was praying, God, if there's another way, please show me it. But ultimately, he fought through, he overcame, and he submitted to the Father, and we all benefit from that. And that's who our, that's who our motivation is. Whether you're a husband who is, is with a wife that's difficult, Or if you're a wife that's with a husband, that's difficult. Our motivation is Christ. Like the song that we sang this morning. That Jesus, it says, counting your status. Jesus counting your status as nothing. The king of all kings came to serve. Washing our feet. Covering me with your love. And this is our response to that. It's a response of submission. Submission. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. And Reach Life Church, may that be our prayer. May that be our cry as we joyfully submit to and are transformed into the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.